here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Shake Them Ropes, episode 256. Let's take roll call here. Uh, Jeff Hawkins, here. Perfect attendance, full-timer. Rob McCarron? Rob? Rob? Rob's not here. Rob's a part-timer. Rob McCarron. Should we begin with the puking, or should we begin with the topics that will change the face of WWE forever? Jeff Hawkins. We are not here to talk about Curtis Hughes. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. Nobody's listening for hockey talk. There were 11 and a half hours of WWE programming this week. I watched it all, as did my co-host. You know him from Voices of Wrestling. You know him from Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Substitute teachers here, boys and girls. It's Chris Novembrino. How you doing, Chris? Hello, boys and girls. It is good <laughs> to be back. Jeff, only 11 and a half hours. You sure could have tacked on something else that I could have sat down and watched. I think there were actually about 12 when you consider overruns in the Mixed Max mixed mixed match challenge uh chris to start shake them ropes as we have been all throughout 2018 was the best thing you saw in wwe this week okay so i think that the usos and new day promo was terribly strong from both Mm. sides and i really like what the Usos have become in 2017. And while the product has been down in a lot of ways, and I even think the New Day guys are kind of getting a little bit stale, I thought that this promo between the Usos and the New Day, very good, very good. Uh, bring that up in a bit, because I liked it too, up until a point. Okay. Um, My, my favorite thing this week, I loved the Women's Elimination Chamber. I, I I was listening to some people like really kind of downgrade it, but not only was did it over deliver in my opinion, but it told certain stories and a lot of them made sense to me. Like I, I thought that whole I mean getting Mandy out of there early, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting her to get a couple pins before she got out there, but it makes sense if you're gonna build her for later, which I think they are because she fits in their certain blonde wheelhouse that they tend to like, but. I thought the entire story of Sasha and, and Bailey told through here was pretty darn good. Alexa Bliss doing that spot off the top of the cell was quite unexpected. Um, and quite frankly, I think Sasha and Bailey, I mean, Bailey's been built back up in some respects, and I think she and Sasha deserve to open up WrestleMania. I'd, I'd give them 10, 15 minutes to open up the card. Don't put them on the pre-show. If, you build, if you're going to build the one-on-one feud, which they're hinting at, but maybe they don't pull the trigger until after Mania. I don't know. But uh, I, I really thought the women kind of stole this Elimination Chamber show on Sunday, and then, and then everybody else was kind of trying to play catch-up. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just start right with the Elimination Chamber. Uh, And I'm with you on this women's match. I think you used the word over-delivered, and that was sort of my vibe, too. So you have all these participants who have never done an Elimination Chamber match before, 
And so they're all kind of new to that environment. Uh, the, the women have been asked to do more things here in recent years and like have been adapting. And, but having to, you know, kind of blaze a trail based off of, you know, what they've seen the men do, but they have to do different things as well. I, I thought that this worked really well. I like, I'm with you, I, I like the Bailey and Sasha stuff a hell of a lot more than I like the development between Bailey and Sasha on Raw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the Absolution women, I, I thought, were used well. I, I, I still think my girl Sonya Deville needs more of a push, but that that's just me. I, I'm gl- Hold on. I'm glad you said that because I am a big fan of her presence. I don't know. I mean, the work isn't quite there yet. I'm with but you there's on something that. about her that she has legitimacy in terms of, I mean, she's doing the MMA gimmick, which a couple of other people are going to have. But at the same time, as a professional wrestler... She has a certain, I think it's just the smirk, and I've, I've brought this up, just kind of the confident smirk. She has a certain confidence that, that uh, Shayna Baszler is trying to get and is almost there, and Ronda needs a lot more work on, in my opinion, but I think Sonya Deville has that. Sonya's got the eyes, and yeah. Shayna's got swag and in-ring cred and all that stuff, but Shayna's never going to have the facials of Sonya, who's got very striking and piercing, like hawkish eyes. And I think it sells into her intensity. And and yeah, I I mean, I'm with you totally on the work side of it. I think that that's still missing, but the swag that she's bringing the ring, it's kind of like Mandy. Mandy's kind of rough in the ring, but But she has swag for days all day. Tons of swag, like (laughs) like instant swag. And, And then you get into the ring, you go, Oh, this is, Actually, much shakier than I thought, but the entrance, boom, we're there. I liked Mickey James doing the Wonder yes. Woman gimmick. I thought that, that her, her outfit looked awesome in this. I like this kind of middle-aged crazy type of thing with, with almost like a Terry Funk circa 94, 95 thing where where they keep calling her old on TV, but she's doing the most crazy crap that the youngins won't do, like going and jumping off of the top of a pod and stuff. I loved that. I thought she was really great, but again, on Monday, it's like, she's out there with Alexa, and then she's going to get attacked. I'm like, what What did Mickey do? She's just out there. She's not even turned heel yet. She's just out there supporting a friend, and then she just gets her tail kicked. I was, I howled at, at the lack of kind of, well, we don't really, aren't going to really pursue anything with Mickey. We just want her out there to get beat up. <laughs> It's just like a weird dropped thread. There's another weird dropped thread that I was thinking about with the Bludgeon Brothers. This is really skipping ahead, but when we had the Usos and New Day exchange, it ends with the Bludgeon Brothers who come out like they're going to have a match, and then we never see them ever again. And you're like, why Why would we bring that up? Like well, that? actually, that was my, my, my... I liked it up to a point. I thought it was a great... And so we don't need to table this any further. I'll just bring it up now. Um, you have this really hot, intense, real promo. And then you have two cartoon characters Right? Come out. They feel like total cartoons. Even more so than the guys with the glow-in-the-dark trombone. Those guys feel more serious than the dudes with the fake foam hammers. Right. And and it, it, it just, it really kind of, that was the lasting impression I got out of that New Day Usos mm-hmm. segment was the Bludgeon Brothers. And I'm just like, okay. Great. And then all five of them leave while, while the crowd chants at them, stay and fight, or, or something like that. It's like, okay, that didn't go exactly as planned. Um, 
But just to finish up on the uh, women's uh, elimination chamber, I, you know, again, I didn't have a problem with the follow-up in terms of Bailey not tagging for Sasha as revenge. Um, I liked that Sa- that Sasha played her hand too early, and it came back to bite her in the end. I thought that was quite logical, um, and and just overall, it was it was a nice way to let Alexa keep the belt because look for all the work and care, especially character wise, she's done this year. She deserves the one on one match at WrestleMania, be it against Nia or against Asuka, uh, depending on how they go. I still think they're going to move Asuka over to face Charlotte, but. I, I thought it was nice. It was clever, and it uh, it started some uh, it, it started some other programs within the division. And you can't have too deep of a women's division on any show. No, I, I completely agree with all the analysis. We're in firm agreement here. Let's move to Oscar versus Nia Jax. So, what did you think about this match? I, you know, I I just thought, um, you know, I'm going on memory here. I, I, you know, it was kind of how I thought it would go in terms of, you know, Nia gets a lot of offense and then eventually Asuka gets the win um, because they wanted to keep Nia strong in this. I think they may have given her a little bit too much offense because you have the veneer of Asuka as badass and then she's kind of working from underneath, which is also kind of a new position for her. Uh on the main roster. I, I just, it, it, uh, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was serviceable enough and it got the job done. I think I agree. I, I didn't like how Oscar was being burdened with doing so much selling, but we didn't get a real sense of what her strategy was going into this match. So right. I, I would have liked to have seen Oscar, let's say target a limb. So mm-hmm. she decides that you know, the the answer for Naya is I'm going to go for a leg lock here eventually, and so I'm going to take out her knee or start working on her ankle and try to you know work on the base of this or try to take out the power in one of her arms. And we have Asuka really working on that, and Naya is recovering and doing a devastating power move here and there, but slowly but surely the injuries sort of catch up with Naya, and then that eventually allows Asuka to get in the Asuka lock. I, I, I think that that would have been a little bit more satisfying than what we ended up happening, which was like Asuka sort of fluking her way into the win here. Yeah, it it, it wasn't quite fluky, but it wasn't quite a strong win. It right. was just kind of, well, the win was just kind of there. She and got that roll up. it was a win to give her a win, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, it's a roll-up is a roll-up, right? It's a, mm-hmm. I mean, one doesn't get a strong win off of a roll-up. That's not a great way to win a title. So, no. uh, I mean, they, they had to get out of this. I, I get that they are trying to protect Nia Jax as the irresistible force here. Uh, that said, I think it, it was an unfortunate thing to roll out that name. And right as they've rolled out the irresistible force concept to be branding her with, she takes a big loss on a high-profile stage. Yeah. So, uh, now, Jeff, I, I know you're excited to talk about this. I cannot wait to talk about this. Jeff, scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love the Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt feud? Oh, jeez. I'll give you all the time you need, buddy. It, 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 I don't think it gets up to 1. Um, I, oh, this, this crowd crapped on this, and, and it was well-deserved. Um, <laughs> to the point where Bray's even looking around at what's going on in the crowd during a fight or the beach ball or whatever. Um, 
they took all the charm of the TNA broken Matt Hardy and uh, have just decided not to use it at all. And now we have this feud must continue. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's matches in slow motion like they're in cement and uh, in search of a story that they don't want to tell. So Matt's really hard to watch move around the ring right now because something is not working right with one of those two wheels. And it, it's, Correct. it's very, very obvious. It, I mean, it's hard to not notice it. Uh, these promos are pulling teeth in the form of a wrestling promo. It, it's just unbearable. Very unbearable. The matches are boring. This plot is going nowhere. Bray Wyatt has been a vortex of suck that no wrestler has ever come out better from having worked in. Uh, I'm Let, let's just cut off right there and go next match. Next, Cause, yeah, cause we, we, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've just been <laughs> sitting on this complaint about Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt for a while now. I, I'm, I'm glad I got it off my chest here. <laughs> I feel better. Thank, thank you for letting me have that moment. It's quite all right. It only should be a moment, and we should dwell. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the Bar versus Titus Worldwide, another thing that does not need to be much longer than a moment. So, this is a feud that happened. Mm-hmm. Next. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I believe that brings us to Ronda Rousey's WWE contract signing. Now, if you didn't like it on Elimination Chamber, uh, you thought it was a little herky-jerk, I-, I will say this. They did a nice job editing this together, making this a lot less um, ramrody. Like, it was bad live, and when they edited it together, I mean, this thing seemed fluid as hell. Yeah, and I think a lot of Monday helped uh, bring it back around from Sunday, because I thought Sunday, the first three quarters of this, was bad. And it, it really kind of made me worry um, especially when you have people booing and you have one group of fans who are determined to make it work. So they start chanting. I was like, oh man, this does not bode well. But you know, the, the, uh, putting Hunter through a table and then the next day it, it was, uh, it was better. Um, and, and you really got, uh, angry Rhonda, which is what everybody wants to see. I'd still have Judo Jean LaBelle with her with a stopwatch, but that's uh, but that's my alternative to Paul Heyman, who I don't want with Ronda Rousey. Um, but overall, I mean, it, it's it's good, but it's not exactly clicking on all cylinders, but it's clicking on two out of four cylinders. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I think actually the Kurt Angle and Ronda dynamic is – Given Kurt's uh, war with words these days, uh, it's actually going a lot better than I thought it would. Um, the Stephanie and Hunter component of this feels... It's like with Hunter, it always feels a little bit forced these days because he's not a regular part of the product. And I'm not saying, let's bring back the authority. God, please, never again. No, but but I do think... I think, I think your point is well made in that. I think Triple H and Stephanie need to tone down the over the topness of their motives and their explanations a little bit to give this a little bit more of a feel of realism so that Rhonda can then respond because it's like if you if like I just remember feeling Monday's promo by Stephanie was very very disingenuous to the point where nobody would buy it you have to buy it a little bit in order to make it seem like you know that that the reaction is is warranted yeah 
I think that's right. Uh, anything else on this? Uh, obviously, we're building to the mixed tag match here at Mania. I, you know, I, I just, uh, Kurt Angle isn't very good. At talking or <laughs> at, and I'm with you. I, I think that this character sucks. Uh, I, I was fun I, I, talking I, about WWE for a while, but that the, the, the posi- charm has the died. Position, well, but the position they put him in and the story they gave him in terms of he's going to be the guy to out Stephanie and Triple H's real motives, it didn't come off. There wasn't any acting behind it that made me believe. I thought he was that, faking other it than on the, Sunday. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. Uh, it, 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 it. Like I said, two out of four cylinders are clicking here, and and that's one of the cylinders that wasn't for me. But I think, you know, I, I I'm not keen on Angle and Ronda as a tag team because after that Shield match, I just I worry a little bit about Kurt's mobility vis-a-vis his neck. The idea of having Kurt Angle around, I mean, he really should have just been like the classic. Gorilla Monsoon comes out every once in a while, mm-hmm. Commissioner. And, and instead, someone, someone a plot device rather than a non-player character within the, the whole scene. Yeah, right. And once they introduce Jason Jordan and all of that into this, I mean, leaving aside the Jason Jordan-Kurt Angle misstep in and of itself, just bringing Kurt Angle from that you know, guy who's just kind of an off-screen character to being in the mix all the time, the non-player character, it's its too much. Yeah, the commissioners and authority figures should, at their best, be deus ex machinas or whatever coming out and, and going, well, we need a solution for this. Who can do that? Okay, here's the commissioner. The Drake Maverick <laughs> formula that they've got going yeah. on 205 Live. Like, oh, and that that is such a great show right now. I yes. can't wait to talk about that a little bit but uh so let's get into the main event here okay. our main event elimination chamber men's braun Strowman versus elias versus finn balor versus john cena versus roman reigns versus seth rollins versus the miz so when we went over our preview i kind of said what happened here i pretty much it went down as expected with braun Strowman getting most of the eliminations if not all i think he got five out of six yeah and then and then roman reigns getting the last one to build him up as a threat, but also to keep Braun strong. And that was the plan here. And uh, they kind of went straight ahead with everything, I thought. Yeah, I can't say that I was surprised when I saw Roman Reigns go over. I I can say that I was at least mildly deflated, or, or not even that, because I've been through this so many times. That my The phrase I said was, oh, this again. And it's WWE trying to force the square peg through the round hole when you have the guy, Strowman, he's not Daniel Bryan, this time it's a much bigger version of Daniel Bryan, you have this guy, Braun Strowman, that the crowd has bought into as a character. Like, it just, it's a very natural fit. Like, this guy smashing up stuff, throwing over ambulances, classic wrestling tropes, it got over. This guy's credible. He looks like the type of guy who could have a credible fight with Brock Lesnar. People want to see this guy have a credible fight with Brock Lesnar and you know, want it to be fairly epic and lots of furniture thrown around. All that jazz. And with Roman Reigns, it still feels like, I mean, what are we, five, six years into his main roster push now? It feels like we're still moving very much with the same character. Guy has not really changed or been tempered by events i mean moderate tweaks to this and and we're just gonna go uphill with this again i i was at least hopeful 
this year coming out of the Rumble, again, this is bad hope. I need I need to disabuse myself of this, that we were going to get the start of Roman turning heel. And that may... No, yeah. no it's, that's not going to happen because of the... Although, I'll go into that a little bit when we go into his promo from Raw, but it, it's... It's weird because I would think, look, I like Braun as a character, but you can't put him in this match with Roman. Have him get all the falls and then have Roman beat him. Uh, you just need to keep him out of the match if that's what if if you right. want to keep him for later, in right. my opinion. And I also think, I mean, as an addendum, I just all this build up for Seth and they really didn't do much with, right. and for, he just gets and, run for, through. with Seth in this. Yeah, he, yeah, he makes it, it to third of, place. Uh, it was kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, I So we, we established Seth as this endurance man and this, this great worker. And I, I think we are actually revising down all of his kind of character traits to be quintessentially IC-ish. So I think we might be... Grooming Rollins for an extended IC run here is is kind of. I'm fine with that. I, I'm cool I'm, with that I'm too. I'm fine with him. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but but it seems like very much like we're, this is the worker. This is the work rate guy. This is the guy who goes yeah. out and has the hour long match. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't need him to be the champion. I don't even need him to have a match with Brock Lesnar again. That being said, babyface Seth versus Brock Lesnar, frankly, is a more interesting WrestleMania match to me than. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar uh, because I, I think Roman's Roman's better in pay-per-view context and he definitely comes to work for good chunks of the pay-per-view sometimes um, but the the finish of this match uh, he was really winded um, you could see that when he was going for the Superman punches and they had no elevation and lacked crispness and even that last spear was just kind of like more of a tackle yeah, I, I kind of uh I kind of had made my peace by then, so I was I was watching and going, Yeah, okay, this is what he does. It's 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 the same and, and it's fine and, and see I'm not the, I'm not a guy who criticizes this move because I understand why they're trying to do it. I just they're especially from after Monday's promo, I, just, I question how I question does this how well work? it's gonna work. That that's exactly where I'm going with this. I, I get what they're trying to do. I can understand this is a choice. This is not the choice that I would make for my wrestling promotion. But if this is going to be the choice, I, I think the kind of valid line of criticism here is you have done all of these other things with Roman Reigns in the past. I mean, you've given him basically every WWE accolade you can give this guy. Is this one going to actually be the silver bullet that makes him be loved in the hearts of fans or even gets him to the point where John Cena is? I don't know. I, I don't think that that's what this guy's ceiling is. Well, there, there's a distinct problem within the reality of the Raw and SmackDown worlds. And it goes into Roman's promo on Monday. Let's get there. Okay. Pe- people want to be on the WrestleMania card, not for money and not necessarily for titles. They want titles because they love the WWE so much. The WWE, as an entity, is the biggest baby face on this program, on all these programs. And WrestleMania People moments. Love, yeah, corporate fealty is something that, that is to be admired, although when you juxtapose it with the big money-making programs that they've had, 
it seems odd that Roman's coming out and criticizing Brock for being a part-timer. And I've been here all this whole time. It's, you're trying to get, it's all a feud about getting the company to like you more. And their big money-making programs, the Austin versus McMahon program, Austin didn't like WWE. He was anti-WWE. He was against the company and the McMahons and everything they stood for. And that's the other problem is when you're presenting the company as the biggest babyface and something to strive for and everybody who owns it are heels, it's a little bit of a disconnect there. Your two last two biggest programs with rebels against the company was was the Austin versus McMahon, and then you had CM Punk. But CM Punk wanted to headline WrestleMania because he thought he was the best, not because he loved WWE. He criticized uh, Cena as being the company guy. That's how Cena got healed on. He criticized The Rock for being a part-timer, but nobody booed The Rock for being a part-timer. Nobody's going to boo Brock Lesnar for not being there all the time because they understand what he is. I don't I don't see the logic in the fans following and cheering. I mean, the promo itself was great. Don't get me wrong. That's Roman's possibly best promo he's ever had in this company in terms of delivery. And yes, the main event swear line or swear word, as I call it. But as a logical promo, it made no sense because it's like, well... I, I'm I'm here for the company. I'm doing everything the company wants. You should cheer me for that. No, everybody goes to... I mean, nobody fights for the love of their company. They go to a job, mostly. So I don't think they're going to connect with Roman in this way that everybody wants to be part of the WWE, kind of like how they do on social media against any criticism. Well, hold on here, too. Uh, I mean, the big angle with Ronda Rousey and Triple H yes, and Stephanie, the, the whole part. idea of this company is so great, right? Except that this company plays head games with you to get you into a contract so that they can do awful things to you inside of their wrestling ring. Yes. Oh, I don't I don't want any special treatment. I'm not special. I'm I'm just I'm just one of the ladies in the locker room back there. I'm like, okay, so 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 that was the appeal of, of the Mike Tyson uh angle right there was Mike Tyson wanted to come in and just be one of the boys okay right sure. and, and that's why Triple H <laughs> and Stephanie went out and sought Ronda Rousey they were just watching they're just flipping through the channels one day and they saw we this woman have, yeah she she looks tough let's have her in our company yeah it, it, the, the, the disconnect here is staggering and I don't I don't think this is gonna work as well as they want but I'm gonna tell you something on the lead up it's not gonna ma- it, it's 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 another disconnect that I know is going to happen. Roman's going to get booed in this because because as much as Heyman's going to heal on him, people love when Heyman heals on people. But at WrestleMania, if he wins, and he probably will, he's going to get cheered because that's a more casual audience. Oh, I don't know. So it's, um, that's Louisiana, right? I think it's going to be about 70-30 cheers for boos. The hardcores are going to boo him. But the kids and the families who are there, I've been at the last two WrestleManias. This is as casual a casual audience can be. This is an easy audience. This is the easiest audience they're ever going to get all year. Yeah, I mean, we were both at the one in Dallas here. And I mean, I recall Roman and Hunter getting basically booed out of the building. But I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't know, man. I just remain... 
unconvinced that they're ever going to get this guy to the main event promised land onto the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. That goal, I I just don't see Roman ever getting there. And and it's a shame because I think that Joe, the human being, uh, has a charisma about him. I think that he could be repackaged to be more charismatic and more successful. I think, if anything, the lesson from his uncle, The Rock, is that they went forward one route and it didn't fucking work. And they kind of, after getting some seasoning on Rocky Maivia, that allowed Dwayne Johnson to sort of take an assessment of what he was doing good what worked, what didn't work, and then reorient and become something that was much closer to his own personal charisma and allowed him to break through. And and I think that that could happen for Joe, but I don't see it happening as Roman Reigns. Well, let me, okay, let me ask you this then. Because as I said, the WWE is the quote-unquote main babyface character in all these storylines. And while the world title is great, once you get the world title, then you're arguing about being the face of the company. Right. Is is Roman Reigns, and I mean, not in terms of just sheer cynical marketing, but if you went to an average person, not necessarily a wrestling fan, and said, who is the face of WWE right now? Would they say Roman Reigns or John Cena? They would tell you John Cena. Okay, I, I tend to agree on that. Even though John Cena is not very active, I think most people would associate John Cena with WWE. I tend to agree with you. I don't think Roman Reigns is going to get to that point. I think and he was supposed to be, to be there by he's now. Going to, well, I mean, look, it's different for everybody. I mean, I still don't think Randy Orton ever got to that point. No, no. And I think they wanted him to be there. I mean, this is the issue now that John Cena is coming up on 41. I mean, the idea that they set into motion when Cena was turning 34, 35... Okay, we tried with Randy. Randy didn't quite get there um, and never will, but he's still fine and totally serviceable uh, at a certain level. So we're going to try again with this guy, Roman Reigns, who's The Rock's cousin. John Cena's 35, so we still got another, you know, five, six years with this guy, seven years with this guy. And now we're coming right to the end of where this baton really is supposed to be legitimately handed off. Like, Like, if we're looking at the actual time window... That should be happening at this WrestleMania, and I have a hard time seeing them getting out of New Orleans with that baton being handed off. Okay. Speaking of John Cena, he has moved over as a free agent to SmackDown. Will he make it got- to WrestleMania? I, I mean, how, how? I mean, we we say he's the face of the brand, but I I don't <laughs> even know that this guy's going to have a match, Jeff. I, I think the company might just leave him off entirely. You know, this joke never gets old to me, although everybody does it. So, <laughs> just yeah, John Cena's not going to have a match, although he is now, surprisingly to me at least, in the now in a six-pack challenge as opposed to a fatal five-way. Um, I fully expected this to be Cena and Nakamura yes. at Fastlane for, for the spot. But instead, he is now in this multi-man match. Um interesting because i don't think they were telling the most compelling story with the fatal five way i think the compelling story here would have been you build up all four of these heelish characters as being really badass heels without touching each other and you're throwing in the biggest baby face in the company to fight off four of the most badass men in wwe that's that's a compelling story 
the way they did this and they did some good stuff. Like I loved the, uh, how, how Dolph Ziggler entered into the, uh, Zane Corbin thing with that kick to the back of the head. That was, that was downright vicious, but it loses a little bit of its, its, uh, sex appeal, so to speak. Not only not having these guys, not touch each other for a while, but now having a second baby face in the mix. I think this just does a disservice to Nakamura as well. And I think, I mean, if we can just kind of get on to him specifically, I, I don't get putting Shinsuke Nakamura up against either member of Rusev Day, either Aiden English or Rusev. I, I mean, this is a baby face who can't do a lot of talking for himself and and can be funny, but kind of within a finite realm of almost like Roadrunner Coyote meep meep. Like like that's kind of the you know punchlines that Shinsuke can kind of throw down here. Um, you have Aiden and Rusev who are funny and likable and clearly have a cult following. So trying to establish Nakamura as a badass through them, I I don't think works. I I don't think. Him beating, he could beat Aiden English 10 times out of 10. I don't think it would elevate Nakamura at all because I don't think the crowd views these two guys on even level. And I think that that actually might have a little bit of a backfire effect. I don't think they're going to keep going to this. But, you know, after a while, you'd find yourself kind of rooting for Aiden English because you think, oh, geez, this poor schlub, he's got no chance. It's Shinsuke Nakamura. Well, it's it's a problem in their in their mid card heels in that they want them to be entertaining, and then eventually, oh, now we'll turn on the heel switch after the sing along part. You know, the, the, yes. Elias has the same issue, right? Right. And and so you can't really have a what what this was I think intended to be, which was just a flat out squash match for Nakamura to continue to look strong, because these this entertainment portion had to have its time. And we we need to get the whole Rusev Day thing over, and it really no, you're right. It shades Shinsuke in in, uh, in in a few ways here, and doesn't have the intended effect you want it to, because he is supposed to be the guy that you are looking forward to seeing in a in the main event of WrestleMania, and yeah, it doesn't do it for for them. You get to see Nakamura, but you don't get to really feel the aura of him being a big deal. Did we talk about the six-woman tag between Alexa, Mickey, and Nia versus Bailey, Asuka, and Sasha yet? Um, briefly. Okay, uh, but we, but, did we uh, talk about we talked about the tag and how um, Bailey sort of holds up Sasha? Um, I, I don't know that we hit that spot yet. I, I just want to mention it. I didn't like that because all the times that Sasha has pulled the heel move on Bailey has been in the course of them being in an every person for themselves situation. And Mm -hmm. I thought Bailey taking a let's work together as a team situation to deliver a turn of spite was eminently heelish in a way that was almost more heely than Sasha's moves. And I know that we're supposed to be reading Sasha's the heel in this feud, but I mean, when Sasha's screwing over Bailey, it's in situations where one person can win. There can only be one winner and Sasha is a competitor in this match. So she would want to win. In this case, they're a tag team, and Bailey's just like, I don't like it when you stab me in the back in our singles matches, so I'm going to take it out on you now. Eh. I, I get that thinking. I get that. But I think this did a little bit more rehab to Bailey than, than meets the eye. 
it did, the match didn't make sense in the first place because Bailey is teaming with not one but two people who have turned on her in the last month because Asuka did the same thing to her. Sure, sure. Prior to Rumble, if you recall, I believe. Or actually, even prior to their match. I can't remember the exact timing of it. But at the same time, Bailey is seen as a sucker, as someone who gets taken advantage of time and time again, sometimes of her own volition, as you saw with the. Remember the hardcore stipulation against Alexa Bliss where she couldn't get the nerve to use a kendo stick because right. it would it would have right. been unfair, which was absolutely ridiculous was after insane. she wanted after she wanted the stipulation. So she stood up for herself against someone who turned on her when they had made a tacit agreement during the match. We're gonna get rid of Alexa, and then you and I are gonna go one on one and may the best woman win, and then Sasha took the opportunity when Bailey wasn't prepared and proved her to be a sucker again. I think in their mind, and I understand this, and and I thought it kind of may have helped her in terms of the casual fan, that that they are now going to have Bailey as the ultimate good girl stand up for herself occasionally, and that will help strengthen her character and help give her a little bit more legitimacy as opposed to being, say, Becky Lynch had this run on the main roster where every week somebody would turn on her or she'd get distracted and rolled up, and she was just the biggest, dumbest baby face. They're trying to battle stupid baby face syndrome here, and I don't have a problem with that. I am totally on board with the cause of fighting stupid baby face syndrome. I, I, no one has been a more staunch advocate of fighting against stupid baby face syndrome. It's a serious problem in our nation. Um, I, I just think that uh, the problem with all of these shortcomings that you cited with Bailey, like all these times that she has come up short in the last couple of years here, I, I think you can look at them and go, some of it's stupid baby face syndrome, or there's even a way to write the narrative where it's all stupid baby face syndrome. Um, the other way of looking at it is, and this is kind of how I've read her, is that her emotions get the better of her. So it's not so much okay. her being stupid. It's that she makes short-sighted emotional decisions in the moment that undermine Bailey the professional. You know, I under I, I like your explanation that she's rash and prone to emotion. Cause I think that makes her more human, whereas Sasha is a much more calculating individual in terms of I'm not gonna let the emotion get the better of me. I have a right. plan. I'm gonna stick to it. I think that man, if they ha- if they put that much depth and thought into it, this this feud would be phenomenal. We're here basically trying to make up for their faux pas and their lack of being able to explain this story as as well i just think i just think she got she was hurt by what happened the previous night so she decided to show sasha okay i can do that game too we're friends it, this is your punishment and now we're square uh, also lost in the mix here I, this is why i kind of really didn't like having all this happen here so oscar gets the win in the middle of this shit uh, while well, all this is going on, and Asuka, I mean, she celebrates it. I would have liked this more if the team had lost. And th- this was, like, not an official loss for Asuka. Like, she, she's losing a tag match. But just any sort of taste of defeat, it would have been awesome to see her get, like, one little taste of that and resent the shit out of it. And, like, look yeah. at Sasha and Bailey and go, like, what are you dragging me into? I don't lose. Yeah, and the and the problem and the problem with that is that they made her streak part of mixed match challenge 
cannon. Oh week. yeah, that's right. They did. And and so so if they were gonna do that, they can't have Asuka get DQ'd or lose or get counted out or or anything. So it's just one of those things where they've painted themselves into a corner and they can't they can't map out these types of stories because <laughs> dude if she was <laughs> having if she was having freakouts anytime she got close to losing like if that started to become the thing that was you know sliding its way into her subconscious that would be a really fun foible to be teasing out here. So eventually when you get to the big loss, we get like the big Asuka snap and then she, you know, goes into mode number two, whatever that may be. Um, let, well, that, you saying that, you saying that though, I have a transition for that. Sure. Because I also, this is, that's what I want John Cena to be. Okay. Yeah. Especially in this five, in this six pack match, because I wasn't seeing that in the elimination chamber. I wasn't seeing the desperate, I need a match at WrestleMania, a big main event type match at WrestleMania type of John Cena. I saw him as John Cena, the, the, the general you know company guy workhorse type thing, as opposed to the guy who's willing to maybe shade a few things here and there to get that match. I don't want him to go full heel, but I want him to seem a lot more desperate than he is right now. I'm ready for him to not be in Nickelodeon slime green. I'm ready for him to be in a white t-shirt and blue jeans and and like just being a little bit more serious right now. Yeah, I'm with you. He doesn't need to go full on heel, but I do want to see a guy who's 41, who still looks great at 41, but is at least conscious of his age and like where he's at inside of his career. And thinking about that stuff with a little bit more maturity and sophistication. Uh, I want him to be the old gunfighter. Yes. That's what I want him to be. That That's the, the archetype I want out of him is the old gunslinger who's not as fast on the draw anymore, but he still has the technique. I wouldn't even mind it if every so often John Cena came up with something cagey. Like, he didn't, he, yeah. he didn't quite cheat, but like, you know... He he could sneak one out on you. Uh, I, I'm reminded he of took a, he took advantage of a situation he ordinarily would not take advantage of. Perhaps sure, right, yeah. right, absolutely. Uh, the, there was this one NBA game several years back. Uh, Karan Butler of the Dallas Mavericks. It was the end of the game. Toronto Raptors are just dribbling out the ball. Karan Butler goes up to this guy like he's going to high five him, and right as he's going for the high five, just steals the ball and runs it in for a slam dunk. Like like that's the kind of stuff that I want John Cena to be teasing every so often. <laughs> I'll go with my one sports, uh, sport, uh, non wrestling sports thing. Virginia held a Division One team to seven points in a half. How does that happen? <laughs> Ooh, that's 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 laying an egg, my friend. I think they got a bird that's on a, the that's team. A, that's a, that's some defense right there, kids. Um. <laughs> so, uh, defense is what I need whenever Bray Wyatt comes on my television screen. We get more Bray Wyatt, Jeff. Now. Bray Wyatt, because this feud must continue. We have to. How does this end, dude? Like, how much further does this, where does this go? When does it end, Jeff? How do I get off? Jeff Hardy, until Jeff Hardy comes back and they can transition the feud onto him, I think. I think that's, that's it. I mean, it, it's, it's weird because we're in this weird chasm of, of things. We, we don't want to. We don't want to have them progress because we still need time to build step by step for Mania. So we're just kind of holding like 
I'll even transition off of this because I have no interest in talking about Ch- <laughs> the Hardy Bray feud. You don't want to unless talk about do, Bray Wyatt dancing and, now and how that's great character development? Doing, oh, gee, unless they're going to do taped vignettes at the Hardy compound, I'm not interested in this any longer. Right. No, I'm, I'm with I'm you. I'm serious. That was the charm of this. Yes. And the me- and the meta jokes and, and just dumb crap like that where where Jeff was, or not Jeff, but Matt was self-aware. Jeff was a little bit self-aware. And it was just, a, it was the unrepentant stupidity of what Matt was doing as a meta commentary on bad gimmicks. That's what that was. Now it's almost like they're taking it too seriously, and I don't want to see that. But. Well, like Matt Hardy okay. is facing the very bad gimmick that his character in so many ways is a parody of. Uh, although, I mean, if you had asked Matt and Jeff when they were coming up with this character, is this a parody of Bray Wyatt? They wouldn't have said that. Um, and, and I don't think that that's where they were coming from. But Bray Wyatt is the exact type of shitty gimmick that the meta rib of the broken character, like, that is the core of it. So to have him, you know, now facing off with the real deal... Uh, it's really unsatisfying. And yeah, yeah, if you gave Matt and Jeff creative control to make seven to ten minutes of television for this company every week, I mean, put it on SmackDown if you're really that hell-bent. Like, if you're really that concerned about running in on Raw, put it on SmackDown. I don't, need, I don't need this on SmackDown. I got enough bad programs on here. I got people fighting over top ten lists. Let, let me ask you. If, if um, it was the Fashion Files, which, for, you know, they've tapered that down, but if it was the Fashion Files or Matt Hardy creating shit for SmackDown at the same amount of time, give me Matt Hardy making three minutes of crazy television every week. You didn't like this week's Fashion Files? I thought it was... Uh... <laughs> it was a little fascinating that they had Josh Duhame on there after this whole uh, after this whole steroid thing. Um, yeah, well that that was certainly a was curio. Um, y- yes, um, I, I, but, I wouldn't say. But I enjoyed SmackDown it. overall, I mean, I just I didn't want it on SmackDown because I think look, I'm I'm gonna say this: SmackDown lost its charm when they decided to put the same formula as Raw and have bickering. Once you Authority lost talking figures on it. You, well, that too. That too. That's a big part of it. But but the 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 bickering authority figures when people want to like both characters is death, especially when you haven't told the audience which one they should be rooting for here. What the hell happened between Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon in terms of like the booking decisions? Were we supposed to be building to Daniel Bryan versus Shane, and and then they pulled the plug on this. Uh, it is I don't think they know. Like, I don't what was the goal know. here? I, I I'm legitimately you mean, you interested. Mean in, you mean in story or behind the scenes? Behind the scenes. Like I wonder if you have. Do you have any insight on this? No, I have none. Because I'm I, completely I, I thought, looking from the outside in. I have no idea what the hell they were trying to do with these guys. I I the only thing I had read was was what Meltzer basically put out there was that the the plan was for. For Daniel Bryan to side eventually with Owens and, and Zayn, but they never pulled the plug on that. And now, so every week, just to get into that, oh, we have we have Shane shaking hands with Daniel Bryan, everything's chummy, until they decide to go backstage and get passive-aggressive with one another, and then Daniel Bryan leaves. It, it, it's, it's this hot-cold crap that's been going on for weeks. They need to do something with it because this entire show can't progress until they make that decision and then heighten it right. a bit. It, it's 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 absolutely insane. So so we get 
you know, your main event heel program kind of treading water and they're making matches and we're continuing on and on. And, but it, it's not going anywhere until they make a firm decision on which they, they want to go with the story. And I think they're afraid that people won't boo Daniel Bryan because I thought the plan was to cool him down because he was leaving the company. That's what I thought the plan was. I mean, and then they started this meta manager angle, and so it draws more attention to them. I mean, if you wanted to cool him off, they actually had him in a good role. Put him as the general manager, yeah. you know, like, and have him kind of be this boring Gorilla Monsoon style general manager, J.J. Dillon and WCW style manager. Um, that, you know, kind of cools him off. I mean, he'll go back onto the Indies and get white hot very, very quickly again. But the that cools him off from you know peak Yeslemania Daniel Bryan in New Orleans. Uh, so like that was effective. But then you've created this storyline where he's now back in the mix. Um, he's also in the mix with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who yes are heels, but like wrestling fans. We look like them. Right. Yeah. Like we look at these guys and go like, these are great wrestlers. Like Sami Zayn is a and great also, wrestler. Kevin Owens is a great talker and good in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're also at the point where turning Shane makes no sense. So it, it's all just a mess that they need to, they need to hurry up and do something with. Um, I'm on, ready to move on to more positive things like 205 Live and NXT, if you, if, unless you have something, but I will uh, defer to you. No, you know, I just real quickly, um, uh, the Riot Squad, I, I just got like two notes on this. Um, this concept is still really thin. Uh, the music, I, I think I might even said this the last time I came on here, and that's how long ago this was. The music needs to be changed. This is like, Ruby Riot still has her baby face music from NXT, and this group is a bunch of heels. The music doesn't fit. It sounds like, a track that wouldn't have made it onto a mid-era replacements album. Um, the costume and the cohesion between the three of them is still kind of lacking. Like, it's sort of starting to happen between Liv and Ruby uh, some. Sarah still feels kind of in the mix. Uh, their signature pose is still lacking. Like, this is just not a strong faction. And uh, it's women in shirts. Yeah, it's three women in shirts. Pretty much. I, I agree with you. My my comment last week was they fell into a story too late with these three in terms of the, the whole working your way to a Charlotte Ruby riot title match because they already beat Ruby in, I think, a six person tag. They had already knocked out Becky and Naomi and brought them both back only to beat them again. It, it it was just it was so convoluted by that by the time they decided on the story they wanted to tell nobody cared about it, and plus now Ruby's not a strong enough. I mean they, they've it, it's better, but there's a problem with Charlotte as a babyface and that she's so powerful and so put over as a star that you need an equal and opposite force to buy her working from underneath, mm-hmm. and they don't have that. Right, and, and they don't have that. Ruby, yeah, really doesn't. I mean, she doesn't feel like a dominant type of heel. Um, if anything, mm-hmm. she seems like the type of like slippery, tricky, has something up her sleeve, it, it, that kind of heel. She, you know what she is? She's a B-level comic book villain who, who like, she's a, how do I put this? She's the head of a group of B-villains who can't shoot straight and always get beat by the hero. But she's the brains of the operation. She's Captain Cold of the Flash Rogues Gallery, or she's Baron Zemo of the Masters of Evil, 
or maybe even the wrecker of the wrecking crew. You know, she she's the leader of this group of of dunderheads, but she's still the leader. So she's she's the most powerful of the dunderheads. So this will get us into the brighter side of the product too. What I think NXT has been doing very effectively recently is enhancement matches. Um, using mm-hmm. jobber matches to establish various stars. Um, and the Riot Squad, I, I think, very much would have benefited from, not unlike the treatment that they've been giving Naya, where they just bring in some local talent in all of these places and have the Riot Squad beat the shit out of them. Uh, I mean, you, you sort of establish I, I them as shit kickers. I, I, you know what? I, I think if you're going to do this Riot Squad gimmick, you should have brought it together as an origin story on NXT and then transferred them over because I still haven't been told why these three women are together other than the fact that they were in NXT. Right. Why their personalities mesh, why these three disparate gimmicks are somehow a a cohesive unit, how they formed that way. This is... This is a big hole in the resume, so they've been trying to get that other than, well, they're invaders, but, I mean, as we say every week, they're just uh, absolution with, with, with different parts. Yeah, it's and, absolution with less cohesion because um, yeah. they're, they always felt a little forced into absolution, but you could just, the individual parts, uh, minus obviously Paige's body breaking down, the individual parts in absolution are just stronger. Each each single piece holds together more. So for this Riot Squad thing to really work, I think what it needs to be is that the sum is greater than the aggregate whole. Because uh, frankly, I think all three of these women are missing something element-wise inside of the ring. We're here to take over. We're here to cause chaos. Is every... WWE faction and they never do right like and they never do they never give they we never get chaos we never get anarchy we never I mean and that's what makes wrestling fun man you like one of my favorite wrestling segments of all time WCW Monday Nitro it's it's the episode with ends with all of the NWO coming out and smashing up everything, and then all of a sudden the WCW guys come out, and they're fighting with the NWO guys who have now taken over the announcer's stand, and the giant is on the headset talking about how Hulk Hogan showed up at his house, and people are still like breaking stuff in the background. Like That's what I watch wrestling for. I, I like the Chaos Faction. That's cool, but the Chaos Faction has to make chaos. Yes, and and just like I mean, like the Horsemen, the original Horsemen, they said, "Look, oh, they we're take all over. great. Re- we're well, we're all great wrestlers, and we all can have titles. But our main goal here is to protect, is to keep the world title within the fold. They had a purpose to coming together, as opposed to just being, well, we're here to win every belt necessarily, or or what have you. I mean, that's a fine. I mean, that that's at least an ethos. I'll take that." But it, it's one of those things where it's like I have like I have no idea why the Miz Tourage is with Miz other than they needed something to do. What are they getting out of this? Where's the character development there of their you know, their evolution? Not that they need it at this point, because they're 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 cannon fodder. I get that. I understand that. But if you gave them a motivation of some kind, a goal perhaps to strive to, it would make the alliance make a little bit more sense. That's all I need out of the Riot Squad is is why did the girl from Kentucky, why did the hot blonde ditzy girl 
And why did the the punk rock girl with tattoos who has a very compelling backstory, <laughs> according to according to like all the videos they showed on NXT, why did these three come together? And why did Ruby eventually just decide to turn her back on, on just being driven? Why did she become driven and start cheating? Yeah, that's that's all I need to know. That's all I really need to know. And it would make these factions far more compelling as opposed to one person's the star. The other two are there to get beat. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. So let's get into NXT. What was your favorite part of NXT this week, Jeff? Oh, this week. Um, <laughs> I, the, you know, even though the wrestling was quite good, I, I love the Street Profits as personalities. I thought that tape vignette had me howling when they're interviewing each other about their favorite thing. I like the Dusty Classic. Um, this year's lineup is a little bit lacking to me in terms of excitement, but I still love tag team wrestling and, and tag teams. So, so, so everything with that, um, I, I really enjoyed, but the matches themselves, there, there wasn't, uh, I mean, I, all three told, got the point across points across that they wanted to get across. And I thought just that kind of straight aheadness of it all, um, really worked, um, the Gargano vignette was quite good, too, I thought. Yeah, I like the Gargano vignette. Let, let me ask you a more meta question. Do you think okay. that the Velveteen Dream ends up the champion by the end of the year? End of the end of this year? End of this um, year. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think eventually, my read is that eventually we get it off of Almas, and I think it ends up on Black, but I don't think Black stays. I think he gets called up before he ever gets a chance to get the title. Okay. I I just I I think they're gonna look at this kid, um, you know, look how great shape it is. Look at the presence he has. We need to bring him up as soon as we can because they always kind of go too early as opposed to too late in many cases on these types of characters that are really really getting a following. Um, and I think really, I mean, I think he needs to improve quite a bit in terms of his in ring work in order to get the title belt. But it wouldn't shock me if they put the belt on him by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I so the affirmative case, I think, is that WWE likes homegrown talent. Um, Patrick Clark, uh, ever since Tough Enough, uh, I mean, I, you watched uh, the season of Tough Enough with him, right? No. Okay. Um, this kid, uh, when he was a kid, I'm saying like when he was like 18, 19, uh, he was already super driven and super committed to just the process of yeah. being a wrestler he's like still and he's also like johnny patriot you know like wrestling in red white and blue and all that stuff so for him to already have um the ability to really embody and personify a completely different character than the person that we came to know on tough enough whether or not the character he's playing on tough enough or the person he's you know portraying on tough enough was a contrivance for him to have that much sort of like range I, I mean, just bodes really well for, I think, his long-term ceiling. I think he's got the WWE body. I mean, he's just super well-defined already. Uh, the you know in-ring work needs work. But that said, I mean, uh, he did a lot of nice catches-catch-end stuff with Tyler Bate here. I thought he hung with Bate well. I, I thought that this match showcased uh, his ability to do a little bit of the, you know, the chain wrestling and that kind of stuff. And the elbow drop works. Yeah, I, I think Bate was leading him through that quite a bit. Well, yeah. That was my thing. And, oh, totally. And, and, and look, if, if 
certain things that have been alluded to are true. Uh, Clark needs to clean up some of his uh, uh, extracurricular activities first before they're going to put the belt on him. Um, oh, what is he having like Enzo level extracurricular? Oh, the the it was. Is a, he living uh, the gimmick? Stealth suspension. Uh, it, uh, not not enhancement stuff, but uh, but but fun stuff. That kind of suspension. Fun stuff. Yeah. Yes, that kind uh, of suspension. Okay, I could I, that that could make some sense. All right. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that at least is what rumor and innuendo is, um, but but yeah, but no, I, I agree with your your overall. So they they want they want a homegrown guy to put this belt on because look, while this is a super indie fed, <laughs> this is supposed this is still to be their, a trading circuit. This is, yeah, this is still their developmental territory. Right. Um, uh, I mean that 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 was the idea. It was, I mean, this was supposed to be a developmental territory. It's just you know spun off along with two hundred five to be the most consistent part of the company because it's not burdened with having to crank out three hours of television every week. It's more, and it's also more straight ahead pro wrestling. Yes, yes, so. yeah. I I think just having the more traditional like one hour or two hour time constraints for wrestling, I think just does wonders for this company. Um, so yeah. what else occurred here? this week uh, we had the caesar bononi versus adam cole enhancement match i liked this i i mean it was, it was quick um you know bononi i think they want to do something with this guy I, I think they look at him and go like is this batista number two uh i've been very high on him for for a while uh but i think they're waiting for his promos to come around I think that's going to be the one thing that they, that, you know, can he talk? Um, it's very interesting. I, I like his Adam selling. Cole, how they, how they, oh yeah. Like that I mean, sell of the Adam Cole super kick. And when he got up for the knee, I like liked the uh, resilience, like the internal fire thing that he was showing, trying to get up there. But also the fact that he was selling that he was on dream street. It was like nuanced in a way that I really enjoyed and thought was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I forgot what match it was, but there was a match about a year and a half ago where I watched that. I went, he is outstanding and, and continues to get better and better every week. I, I just, they need to do something with him. They need to give him some sort of character do other than, I mean, not necessarily Caesar Bononi, but you know, a nickname, something that he can glom onto and work that into his presence, so that he can start developing this character. Kind of like how Velveteen Dream has helped Patrick Clark so much. Um, I I have concerns still about the presentation of Adam Cole. Yes, because I don't think he lives up to what. He feels like a hype least, train right now. Like when he's saying Adam Cole, baby, he almost feels deluded in this company in a way like he feels, you know who he feels like? He feels like Miz yeah. in a lot of ways Yeah, in terms of that, that presence. It's the guy that, oh, you know, he, he thinks he's a badass and everybody says he's supposed to be the best, but he's just, he's this guy with a couple of uh, badass flunkies. Who I mean he he's kind of the opposite of of the riot squad. The other two guys are are the badasses, and he's kind of the 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 uh, the not so badass behind it. Although you I mean all his singles matches kind of have this this level of of gravitas chicken 
I mean, they, they lack it. They lack that gravitas in terms of him as being a guy who can pull this win out without, without the shortcuts. Yeah, and stuff. it's true. I, it's weird because it's like he comes to the ring and he is always presented, even on commentary, like this is a legitimate guy. He's Adam Cole. He's the stud. I mean, even when they brought him into the company, they gave him, you know, the NXT sit ringside at the pay per view before you actually show up. Like, he got that level of intro. So he's not like coming in through the front door or anything like that. But I haven't felt like with the Undisputed Era, they're telling a story wherein Adam Cole's actually going to be the weak link. I hope that that is where they end up going with this. Because uh, I think that's an interesting wrestling story that has not been told uh, in a while. And it would be an interesting twist. There's this idea that they're going to be the full horsemen. That you know, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish are going to get titles on them. They're going to be the tag titles. And then Adam Cole is going to bring home the NXT belt. And it's going to be their job to defend this. And I kind of like the idea of the leader always coming up short. And eventually this yeah. kind of combusting on the leader. But I don't feel like if that's the story they're trying to tell, that they've really gotten into laying that out for us, the viewer. Right. Uh, they they actually replaced Gargano in the uh, in the credits with <laughs> with Tommaso, <laughs> just kind of doing the wave. It it was so great this week. I love that co- that little touch of continuity. I thought that was fantastic. And then they you know they furthered the uh, Kyrie Sane uh, Shayna Baszler feud. Although I was a little shocked that Kyrie Sane lost here. Really? See, I, um, I thought that this was a necessary win for Shayna to get to establish herself. So I was not actually surprised by the outcome. I was actually expecting uh, Baszler to win. I, I liked it. I, I thought this was a fine match. I, oh, I did too. Yeah. I, 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 I think there's a little bit of a weird. They gotta get. They gotta either. They gotta get rid of this pirate thing. The, the wheel. Kyrie I don't Shane, like I how think. the wheel she holds it like it's a violin. Like I expect her to come out with a bow and start playing like the Nakamura theme or something like that, but instead she's just got this pirate wheel that she's holding in the place that you'd hold the stringed instrument. Well, I'll I'll, I'll take you through my mental process watching her because I like Kyrie Sane a lot. Um, but it's almost like I, it's almost like I'm coming out as this little girl playing dress up. And now, now I'm this badass woman in the ring. And there's that, there's that moment of, I have to, I have to forget this whole cute bar. I I understand that's part of the whole Joshi thing and, and, and whatnot, but the, the the music sucks. The new music sucks for her. I can't even really tell you how the theme goes. Like, I, I I mean, I I vaguely just rip off something from Legend of Zelda, the Wind Waker. Like, like, that's kind of where I'm at. But like, that might be her theme. And I get what, and I, and I've kind of come around as as I'm talking myself into all these stupid points (laughs) that, that Shayna, Shayna should kind of run through somebody like Kyrie saying, who's not very serious, and she is. I, I kind of like that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I maybe would have tweaked this ever so slightly more and you know, catch Kyrie in a fan appeal or something like that where she gets a little hung mm-hmm. up on that and we you know, just establish a little bit further that it's the fact that Shayna is no-nonsense that makes her so formidable. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought this was good. Um, let's, you want to kick it over to 205 Live? Yeah, because that, that to me is their so- most solid program that they have right now. Because there's not much to say about Mixed Match Challenge other than 
Um, and plus, <laughs> Rob likes us to go an hour, and we're going to go just a little bit longer, but that's okay because, you know what? He ain't here, so screw him. Well, if he had better <laughs> attendance, he could enforce the rules of class, but substitute <laughs> teacher Nove says no rules. That's Nove's way. No, my only my only real takeaways from Mixed Match Challenge were, were interesting that they decided to bring the streak into this because I don't think – I mean, I think that takes all the drama out of it because they have to – Right, right, yeah. I, I mean, the, that was the worst thing. I, I actually – the thing I liked the most about the Oscar pairing on this is, oh, okay, we're not going to do the streak thing, so we can have some fun, kind of get outside of these characters. I think the Mixed Match Challenge works the best when it is trying to be part of the canon the least, and it is just a place – where yeah. we do fun things with these characters and we don't necessarily have to stick with them. But if something works, like this dynamic between Alexa and Braun, if we see that that's sticking or like that's connecting with the audience, fucking lean into that. Let's do a whole bunch of that. Yeah. And, and if not, it's, drop it. Move on. It's it's Elseworlds WWE. I, I love that. But uh, But the other takeaway I have from it is, other than taking the glasses of Izzy, the best thing that Sasha Banks ever does is when she mocks her opponent's signature moves. Her dancing like Asuka had me howling. When she did the Nikki Bella twirl when she was part of Team Bad and then started doing the push-ups, howling. I, I love when she does that as a kind of a mocking heel presence. I, I just She's just so fantastic at that. I, I, it's, it's one of those things that she does better than anybody on the roster when they try it. Um, but 205 Live, I'm. This is now what week three or week four? Week four of since, this uh, new reshuffle since the end of the Enzo Amore regnum. Are you missing him yet, Jeff? No. Yeah, no, me neither. I, I'm only, so glad the, that guy's the only, th- the only thing I mildly miss about the old 205 is I did like Drew Gulak. Yeah, I was going to say PowerPoint presentation, Drew Gulak. Now, that said. Uh, the match between Drew and Tony that kind of put all of that in the rearview mirror, the end of that match, like my eyes were starting to bug. I was like, whoa, we just got really intense. I like this. I'm all about, I'm all about this. Yes. The, the action on this is fantastic. Um, I wish they'd do this before SmackDown rather than after SmackDown. Yeah. Oh God. That would get you so much more and, ready for the SmackDown show. Wouldn't feel like kind of an anchor on the back end. Like the, yeah. the talking, like to, you know, talking smack after Mix Max challenge and having 205 live preceding SmackDown would make for such a more enjoyable three and a half hour block than what they've got going on right now where it's SmackDown, yeah. Mix Max challenge, 205 live. The pacing on that's just like really kind of weird and all over the place. Yeah. And the the thing is, it it's great to see them bringing around the crowds. I think this is the first time I've ever heard a two o five chant out of a crowd, and especially out of a, a L A crowd, which was even more surprising in the thing. But I, they this show deserves hotter crowds. I don't know how to get there. I know that they're still trying to kind of condition audiences that this is a different type of product than the main roster whereas they just decided to make it more of the main roster to try and call those SmackDown fans. But it needs to happen quick. I don't know if I can get a grassroots thing going. I like that they turn around these crowds to being hot. Um, that that Roddy-Kalisto match, that, that was great heel Roddy right there, even though he's a babyface in NXT universe. 205 heel Roddy, loved it, loved it. And I, I'm a... 
I'm a f- look when TJP was the original cruiserweight champion. I said it was a great choice because he's a guy who can work different styles and he's a guy that can talk. Yes, yes. I like I like I like heel TJP. Um, I think they're starting to get they 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 finally have figured out what to do with him after you know over a year in terms of being a guy who wants to get the belt back and is driven by that. But I think the ascent of Cedric Alexander has been a positive, even though we lost Rich Swan, who was probably my favorite talent on the show. Um, but I am looking very, very forward to. Um, I think it's going. I think the, the the bracket is Cedric versus Roddy next, right? I th- I think that is right. Yeah, and like that's going to be an awesome match. I, I I'm very yeah. excited for Cedric Alexander's evolution as a character this year because I think we are going to take him in a different direction. I, I like this new format a lot. I, I mean, uh, Rockstar Spud coming in. I don't like the name Drake Maverick at all, but the Drake Maverick character is exactly what I want out of a general manager. I, and I think that Spud is just crushing the role. He's just doing, he's just there. He's just there enough. Yep. Yep. Or he's there just enough. We know he's there, but he doesn't, doesn't overstay his thing. I like that. This thing is presented more as sport. Yep. I think it. I think it plays to Nigel's strengths. He can talk strategy during the match, as opposed to storyline, which was always kind of an albatross around 205's neck. And I think Vic Joseph. You know, he still does a lot of the WWE announcer stuff, where he's ooh ah, you know, that a little bit too much. But I think he is a very solid play-by-play guy for this. Uh, you know what's interesting about Vic is that I observed... I, I can even put a number on this, but I can't get into how. I observed a, a substantial uh, increase in Vic's talking uh, on commentary yes, between... he does not let things... He doesn't let things breathe. It, it, from the end of the Enzo Amore era, where he was, to my ears, kind of checked out on the product to now where he's like a little too all over it. And I think if I could make one knock on 205 Live's current iterations, I think they sort of overlearned the mistakes from the Enzo Amore era. So there was too much talking, too much characters, not enough wrestling during the Enzo Amore era. And the main event scene did not deliver a satisfying wrestling Vibe, but Enzo was a a compelling promo when he was good. Uh, The Zo train, when it was working uh, on various weeks, was compelling. Uh, Drew Gulak as a talker, compelling. Uh, It's certainly enjoyable, but the wrestling itself was kind of not there. This week was the first week out of the four weeks that we've had where I felt like, particularly during the TJP match that there was a bit of a drift in the crowd kind of got aimless. And I think part of it's just, as we've been observing, that it's, it's this dead spot after two hours of SmackDown and Mixed Max Challenge. So you've now changed gears on this audience not once but twice. And the 17 minutes, I think that was a little too long of a runtime. So if we're going to do a 45-minute to 50-minute show... I think they should be shooting for something more like 12 to 15 minute matches instead of this uh, this thing that's creeped out to 15 to 20. Just a sconch long. Really loved the Roddy versus Kalisto match, though. I, I think, for me, the thing that's really needed here is kind of a... They got the matches down. Yeah. 
and they and they did and they did that at the expense of like you said character development so what they need to do instead of the vignettes that they're doing now where it's like i'm going to wrestlemania you know and the de facto i'm going to go fight for the title at wrestlemania very short vignettes they need to get back to the NXT Cruiserweight Classic style of storytelling in terms of the interview. Just let people know who these guys are. You know, the, the TJP promo, he doesn't have to play evil, evil, snarling heel. He can just be driven, and 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 the heel, heelishness will come out. And But you can still get the guys invested in a more realistic investment in the players on 205 Live. Now that you have the more, better matches, have that kind of depth that they're not getting on the main roster in terms of character development, and you'll have that that sweet spot. I think you know if you if you show the the Roddy vignettes they showed on NXT on this two hundred five live because look he's had two great matches on here already. He his introduction to the quote unquote main roster crew at least live. Astounding success in my in my opinion, from a guy that nobody quote unquote knew except those who were the hardcore NXT watchers. I th- I think his introduction here is is he's really the breakout star of this tournament. Cedric we already knew was great. I think they've done a lot for Mustafa Ali, but again, oh Wesley Blake, you know, okay, I, man, let me you and, want to talk about night and day? You mean Buddy Murphy? Buddy Murphy, yes. No, I'm sorry, uh, Wesley Blake. <laughs> uh, who knows? I mean, he's incredible now, Jeff. He's disappeared entirely. But this yeah. Buddy Murphy character, oh my God, this reinvention of this guy. Um, it, it, do that, do that for the other guys, yeah, as opposed to just the guy you're reintroducing. Because I think Mustafa Ali's everything about his story we saw on the Cruiserweight Classic was compelling. As opposed to just, you know, just him, man, I had a great match and Jack Gallagher poached me to the limit. That's great. Now go the extra step and add a little bit more depth about his story so that we can get invested with him other than he's a great competitor. And I think I think that's all you need is just that kind of little twinge and this would be close to a perfect show for a wrestling fan. Um, but yeah, no, what they've done with Buddy Murphy's storytelling and, and everything has, has been fantastic. I mean, this is a guy who I liked when he was part of the dubstep Cowboys and was kind of like, <laughs> what are they going to do with these guys once they aren't that anymore? I, it's, I'm actually still amused that he has the dubstep music. Like the, the one thing that they didn't think about changing up. How do you not think about this in wrestling? The theme. The theme song is so... Int- I, I mean, you know, I'm a little biased as a musician, but... The theme song is so intrinsic to the identity of these guys. It's it's the audio trigger that we you before you see them, you hear the notes of their music. And like that lets us I, know I, they're I, coming. I can hear the studio notes. Well, that's how they associate him with is that music from NXT. So we need to keep some sort of version of that as if we remember that great Blake and Murphy tag team run with Alexa Bliss. As if it was something, you know, memorable, and it really wasn't. So, I mean, they could have... No, I, I agree. They probably should have just... I mean, since they're giving him a clean slate in terms of gimmick, they probably should give him a clean slate in terms of music. Yeah, just, you know, I mean, freshen him up entirely. But, I, I mean, I think Buddy Murphy, you know, I was talking early in the episode about Roman Reigns, or Joe, the man who plays Roman Reigns, reinventing himself. I think you can look at the teachable lessons from Buddy Murphy and go, wow, you know, with a little bit of thought, 
uh, and not world-changing tweaks. It's not like they asked Buddy Murphy to learn a different accent. He's still talking like an Australian. He's still very much, you know, red hair, different, slightly different haircut, you know, buzz the sides up, but still got like, I, I mean, a little bit of a beard. Not massive, world-shattering tweaks to this guy. He's not like wearing a mask. He's not uh, like when Dustin Runnels came to WCW with seven or, or whatever that weird gimmick was. I mean, we're not we're not <laughs> going that far out there, but you know, just just some tweaks. I, I think that there's a teachable moment there. I think that's the only seven reference we've ever had on this show. <laughs> Uh, follow the show at Shake Them Rubs. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. Chris, get your plugs in. All right, I got a new show. It is called the All in the Family Podcast. It is a podcast. Jeff, you want to guess what it's about? It's about All in the Family, and you can find that at All in. Are you? Hold on. Are you kidding? No, me? I kid you not. This is awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It is at allinthefamilypodcast.com. We are also on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash allthefamily. So go and check that out. We just had Arya Cohen-Wade from bloggingheads.tv on to discuss episode seven. It's not the, not the strongest episode, but episode six. Oh, man. Gloria has a miscarriage. Really, really good episode. Really good episode. My other show is called Don't Worry About the Government. You can find that at don'tworry.tv. I am on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. Miles says hello. We look forward to coming back on Voice of Wrestling here for the next season of Lucha Underground. So hopefully it won't be too long. And, you know, if, if Rob... Continues to slack on this attendance shit. You know, uh, Jeff has my number. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an easy man to get a hold of. Look, Rob's in Mexico right now enjoying the high life uh, to the point where I, I, I made fun of him. Like, like I, Someone mentioned something about him being drunk. I said, yeah, he had one crayon and vodka. And then he DS me. He goes, I've had all the crab vodkas you have. But, uh, you know, if he can't get out of Mexico, you're my next choice, Chris. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.